Hey everyone, how is everyone doing? Uh, this is still me, Rajiv and Piyush on Rebel Radio. Uh, it's going to be a great episode today because we are bringing it home. Uh, we are talking about the training rooms. We are talking about training rooms in the country in general uh, because we really want to talk about how we train in the, uh, in the country and we really want to share what we have with you. Uh, what do you say, Piyush? 100%. So uh, this episode, we also want to talk about a lot of questions that our fans or followers of this podcast keep sending us or even people in general who do jujitsu in the country, the basic problems that they face, the basic questions that they have, maybe go a little bit into the history and trivia of jujitsu itself and then discuss some not so great practices. So yes. it is going to be a fun episode. So let's uh, start with it. What do you say? Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a great day. So let's do it. So the first, uh, the first topic of the day is age old jiu-jitsu versus what's happening in the modern meta. So Piyush is one of the uh, one of the guys that I know who studies a lot of jiu-jitsu in the country. So let's start with you. Yeah, so let's talk about uh, the old school jiu-jitsu versus the modern jiu-jitsu and how it has kind of evolved into something what we are seeing now versus 10 years back or if you l take a look at jiu-jitsu 20 years back, it used to look completely different, right? Absolutely. So 20 years back, we are talking about 90s. And if you see the matches, it was dominated by obviously the Gi Jiu-Jitsu. Yes. And now the meta has kind of shifted to Nogi Jiu-Jitsu uh, being much more popular. So let's try to just break it down very quickly for um, the people who are new to Jiu-Jitsu or who have just taken up Jiu-Jitsu in like past two, three years or maybe even this year. How techniques looked like in 90s versus what we do right now. So I remember watching matches from late 90s and... Uh, it used to be a lot of close guard, lots of basics, lots of fundamentals. We still did not have a lot of these fancy open guard that came along. I think it was around the late 90s when Della Hiva became popular for the first time. Yes. And uh, post that came Marcelo who brought in the X guards and yes. that started a revolution in the open guard uh, system completely. And uh, from there it has evolved into uh, the Berimbolo era which was yes. by... Rafael Mendes, Mendes Brothers, then followed by Miao Brothers. Brothers. And uh, then came the Leg Nogi Lung. evolution, or Nogi revolution, I should say. And what do you think, what did you see the difference between the Nogi revolution as you were coming up? Uh, I think uh, the Nogi revolution happened uh, with the advent of the DDS. Uh, they started bringing in a lot of leg locks. I mean, it's uh, we're still talking about 16, 17, when these guys were not a very... Uh, big name in the uh, sports uh, jiu-jitsu arena, especially in the Nogi segment. So these guys started uh, getting in Eddie Cummings, uh, Gary Tonon and the likes under uh, coach John Danaher. And they started decimating people, getting them in, getting them into Ashis from everywhere. I mean, cross Ashi, outside Ashi, I mean, inside Ashi, whatever you want to call them, you know? So they, had, they started introducing uh, the jiu-jitsu community into a lot of leg locks. So... Uh, and obviously it caught up so well because they were winning everything. 100%. And uh, they were winning everything and uh, these matches were really, really quick. I saw Gordon share some of the footage from his Purple Bell days because now he's released the Leg Lock DVD yeah. where he's doing these bet matches where he's flimsy little guy, yes. Purple Bell, going and leg locking everyone with just standard Ashigaramis just because nobody th at that point of time knew about what he looks like. I mean, people did know about it, but they did not know how to defend it. Yes. Because uh, if you remember, there's a very old picture of Helio Gracie doing yeah. a 
outside he looks. Even if you look at Roy Dean uh, in yeah. the white belt to blue belt uh, curriculum that he has, he does get into he look details. And I've seen some of his videos he, on YouTube. He does he looks in the gi. In the gi. So it was always there, but it was always thought to be a fringe uh, move. Yeah. It did not. It was not as uh, massive as the triangle or the guillotine or the armbar, which was definite, or the rear naked choke, as a matter of fact. But after a while, people started hitting outside and inside. He looks from everywhere and winning matches. And at the end of the day, sports will evolve when you start seeing certain techniques uh, uh, winning matches. So then it was, uh, like you correctly said, it was not an evolution. It was a revolution when the DDS squad actually introduced leg locks. And after that, what has happened? So many things, yeah? Wrestling. Wrestling started to come into the picture. As Dana has always mentioned, there used to be like two big holes into jiu-jitsu. Uh, one was the leg lock made up because Sambo guys used to dominate the leg locks with their knee bars and yes. he looks one off. And then we had guys like uh, Dean Lister who came yes. to ADCC and just destroyed everyone with the outside he look, inside he look. And then people started to take notice. And even Danner got influenced by uh, Dean Lister. Lister who flies under the radar a lot of times because he's not very outspoken um, as it seems. So post that, the wrestling thing happened and now for the past two ADCC trials and ADCC itself, we are seeing the focus shift back to getting on a top position and then dominating from there. And now the latest, as we have discussed in our last few podcasts, the scrimmage wrestling, oh, yeah. the uh, counter to the wrestling. So this is how we are moving right now. I think so. I think it's high time we all catch up to it. Uh, the purpose of this podcast is to here are friends in the country, especially with Strangle just around the corner. You know, so I want, uh, we want, definitely, we want all you guys to understand there are systems available everywhere. And like you said, scrimmage is the biggest thing. Uh, we've just been introduced to scrimmage. Uh, Piyush has been heading the class. And uh, we understand. I mean, suddenly things become so much clearer. So, uh, uh, playing bottom open guard is not the ideal scenario we can see. We can always get up, stand up, and start imposing our own top game. You know, so after the he looks, uh, uh, people started uh, countering in, the he looks, countering the, the he looks, countering he looks with the back takes, and suddenly he looks started lo losing its sheen because everyone was doing it. It's not that it's still not effective; it's very very effective, but everyone was doing it. So there were uh, people who were studying anti uh, leg locks, and they were getting quite good at better that. Better at the defense, yeah, yeah. Better at defense, and especially with the outside he look, uh, people were getting their backs taken and choked out. You know, so I think it's slowly evolved into this beautiful uh, sport, which is not just jiu-jitsu in itself. It's lost its identity as it's a submission grappling. It's a submission, it's a submission, submission like over. yeah, exactly. It's it's a mixture of mixture of sambo, jiu-jitsu. Now a huge amount of uh, wrestling uh, influence you can see in this game, and now judo has creeped into it. 100%, yeah, hundred percent. And um, what? is a testament to that is the Volkanovski match. Absolutely. Because this guy has never been a wrestler wrestler. He has just been competing in Australia where uh, there is almost no wrestling. There is no international wrestling in Australia. And uh, if he with a pedigree like that goes and dominates a guy like Islam on the feet or at least gets out of those uh, positions which nobody could escape mm -hmm. from. So that really shows that BJJ or Jiu-Jitsu in general today is not just a butt-scooting martial art, which it was very famous for in the Berimbolo era, yeah. but now it has become something. And we see uh, in so many MMA matches where people are he-looking, people, because if you do not know the right way to react to it, you will definitely see people who are 
going for a leg attack and as you rightly said they will try to escape out of it either they will break their leg like we saw in the musumichi messi match musumichi uh, or they will get the other person will follow up to a better transitional position it's just that with the matter of time so people say leg locks don't work in mma i disagree with that leg locks will work if chained together with a different set of techniques yeah that's that brings us to chain chaining moves now you know you just can't uh, the level of uh, jiu jitsu practitioners in india and also in the con- uh, also around the world have gone up by notches i mean double digits and four times or 10 times because you cannot just set up a triangle anymore you'll have to chain a lot of moves to even get to some of the submissions that have stayed along with us for the longest time so yeah i think uh and you correctly said um volkanovski versus islam has brought in a lot of good highlight to jiu jitsu and thanks to craig jones and his team uh volkanovski made uh dagestani wrestling look very very weak so i think uh, that is or it made it look very humane like, yeah, like it very was human not a juggernaut as they yeah, were because everybody thought he's going to take him down in the first round choke him out but my god i i thought that i thought that volkanovski is going to get mauled and i had to eat my words that day yeah it was it was reinforce my belief in okay whatever we are doing is actually not yes, so bad yes so i think uh, that is jiu jitsu guys in the country uh, shall we discuss the uh, let's a journey of uh, or the evolution or a revolution of jiu jitsu in the country sure so i think jiu jitsu is very uh, in nascent phases still in india and um, the point being that we still don't have a black belt per se we have a couple of black belts here and there but uh, we are still waiting for a or a bunch of high level black belts originating from the country and we'll measure that when we see someone winning at the highest level yes uh, just being a black belt is just a matter of having a belt around your waist but if you don't have any accomplishments at the highest level of the sport at the black belt level of the sport uh, i feel um, you can say that we still don't have black belts yeah. okay so i think things will change fast we have few uh, good people who are at the brown belt or the purple belt level who are going to get there in a matter of like next 5 years 6 yes. years and they'll be producing a new batch of fresh talent as the people's understanding grows i think um, we'll have much more uh, talented athletes coming out of india so that's how i see indian jiu jitsu uh, evolving yeah this also brings me to the point that uh, jiu jitsu is still quite unsafe in the country i mean uh, i'm not pointing fingers of training grappling in general training grappling is still very very injury prone because i think uh, there are certain practices uh, that have been uh, so uh, vocally uh, been addressed by the greats like by greats like john danha and everything so we'll be discussing a few things that we at rebel uh, look at or we at rebel uh say now the do's and don'ts that we follow at rebel so uh let's uh, start with a few points with you then i'll add a few 100% so some techniques which really i cringe watching when i see some of these instagram reels or uh, training sessions of other academies and this is not only in india but it's general worldwide phenomena where people are just training very recklessly and jiu-jitsu is a sport or wrestling is a sport where your knees are everything they are your greatest assets and when i see someone going for a takedown and just hook someone's leg and drop his entire body weight that is like oh i feel sad for them of course <laughs> because of course. that kind of training will statistically result in someone getting injured for a long long time and it will be a catastrophic injury it won't be a regular injury 
where you can just oh my foot popped i'm back in like two months my <clears throat> finger got dislocated i'm back in like three weeks it'll be nine months years multiple years you never know because a nagging knee injury will just keep coming back to haunt you absolutely right so that's a big one for me people going for takedowns and being so careless about falling with their entire body weight on their uh, training partner can can you shed light on a few moves that should not be practiced for safe uh, safe uh, keeping of all the members 100% so the two moves that i see um, as in the wrestling part of it uh, very very common is people going to someone's back in a standing position the rear body lock and from there just chopping someone's knee down sideways by with their leg as they put their entire body weight and sag to the side that's one of the most dangerous way to execute a trip if you want to execute a safe trip you have to do the rear or the reverse taiyotoshi where you turn your hips around extend the leg then drag people onto your extended leg right that's a safer version to do it but you don't want to just hang your body weight and try to chop his leg sideways because our knees as you saw in the clip that i uploaded yesterday where danner says our knees are meant to bend forwards and backwards they are not meant to bend sideways lateral Absolutely. flexion is not available in the knee so any time you are trying to um, put weight sideways on the knee that's a big no no and should be banned in the training room 100% of the time and uh, you have to be strict as a coach to not allow that because sometimes you just say and people still go on with it or you have a visitor who just goes on to it, on with it so you need to make it very very clear if you have someone in the training room for the first time that okay guys this is not this is not good other big one that i see is when people have the back this happens in the beginner wide build class a lot they'll have the back they'll get the seat will they'll put the hooks in and now because they are unable to break someone down sideways they will just pull with their entire body weight backwards and if someone is sitting in a turtle in a vulnerable spot and their toes are stuck and you just pull them backwards with your entire body weight hanging off them it can really blow their knees out absolutely or at least twist their ankles and mangle it so that's another big no no which i um, always tell my students not to do in the training room apart from that why don't you go ahead and tell us another so, one uh, i think uh, for me like you said a reverse taniyotoshi is a safe way to do it a taniyotoshi because you have to understand these are your knees uh, in fact what we'll do is we'll make a few videos and along with these uh, we'll try to put it so that you guys also understand what we're talking about so uh, your <coughs> knees like you said there is no lateral flexion in your knees so when you're trying to take someone down by just falling sl- uh, flat and uh, pre- pressing your hips towards the knees that's where the problem occurs also spiking people from the rear yeah spiking people is a dangerous thing to do it might sound funny or it might just be sport you just you're lifting people up and putting them on their heads head first head first so that is going to injure someone for the rest of his life i remember a few i remember one incident which i don't want to take names right now but this poor guy has been paralyzed uh, for life oh uh, he was yeah. my friend yeah he was my training partner he was his training partner he's i don't think so not just jiu jitsu he can't even walk properly so this is not uh, to and i didn't do it guys yeah. <laughs> he was my training yeah. partner this is not to bring bad yeah. light to the training room or whatever but again we'll have to uh, have very very strict guidelines towards what is good and what is allowed or what is not allowed another thing is jumping guards my friend especially if you are in a white belt uh, scenario if you've just begun and you grab the neck and suddenly you jump on someone or you just rolling you see a few instagram videos or youtube videos where you see some people just jumping and getting into uh, jumping flying onto triangles. flying triangles and all that yeah. things 
you will blow some uh, one's knee off or somebody's going to blow your knees off. So before you guys get into a role, uh, you, there should be clear instructions by the coaches, first of all. And if not, uh, between the two of you, that these are the things that we should be doing and these are the things we should not be doing. Also, if you're beginning and if you're so enthusiastic about wrestling, please take it easy. I mean, we as uh, two coaches at Rebel, we make sure wrestling is only sparred at 30%. I mean, it's touch and go, touch and go, touch and go, because... And the reason why we say 30% is because you have to just double it. Yeah. <laughs> because people, that's yeah. how they receive the instructions, white belts. Yeah. If you say 30, it will be 60. Yes. If you say 50, it will be 100, 100% of the time. So. Also, before uh, we move on, I'd seen a video of a gym in Pune, probably, where this girl was flying into a flying oh, Kani Basami. That's another move. Uh, Kani, Bas Kani Basami, guys. Please, if you don't know what a Kani Basami is, don't do it. Okay. What, what is a Kani Basami? Let's just educate people. Yeah, the, a Kani Basami is a, a scissoring action of your leg where you jump towards somebody's leg. Your, uh, let's say, top leg uh, comes in front, your back leg, uh, bottom leg goes behind, and you scissor him down on the floor. I mean, imagine the kind of damage it can be uh, that can you can uh, uh, inflict on your partner. John Danaher's gym, no Kani Basamis. B team, no Kani Basamis, standing Kani Basamis. Okay, so if you don't know what a Kani Basami is, please Google what a Kani Basami is. Kani Basami from the floor. When you're passing guard, absolutely okay to do. But if you're standing up, no Kani Basamis. Especially when uh, you are standing up and wrestling, when it gets sweaty, you mm. yourself don't have any control over your moves. Ah, so maybe you are trying it, you slipped, or maybe you are trying it, the partner moved an inch backward yes. or forward. And that's when the dangerous um, breaks happen. Other thing is, uh, just as a general um, like awareness thing, whenever we are, we, are, we are sparring, always watch out for the mat space and where the mat yes. space is. Because sometimes what happens is, I'll see this every single time, the role starts in the center of the mat, immediately people are on the edge about to fall off onto the hard ground, hard concrete surface, or the wall. If you don't have uh, uh, wall mats in the gym, you should definitely ask your instructors to get that because that's one of the most dangerous spots you can be in. So please have mat awareness and please reinforce this into your white belts from the very beginning that if you find yourself nearing the edge of the mats, if you're trying to attempt a takedown, just stop it. It's not worth it. Those takedown do, do not count for shit. You have to bring it to the center, restart again. If you roll and get close to other set of people who are sparring, and this is what I cringed the most when I watched uh, Pedigo Submission Fighting's um, mm. Daisy Fresh videos. Oh my God, Daisy They Fresh. used to like <laughs> be inches away from each other's faces and going hard as hell. It was crazy. So yeah. also, also, guys, the most important thing I think we both can tell you is learn how to tap. Okay? Tap I mean, in time. Tap in time. Because uh, you, uh, all of us want to be tough. Uh, we want to show that how tough we are. That's not worth it. I mean, a lot of I've heard a lot of people say, "Don't tap two straight foot locks," but your leg does pop. You know, sometimes your tibia might break. You know, sometimes know. your tibia might break. So there's no point bringing an ego and thinking that you're a tough guy because you refuse to tap. I know a few guys who've undergone surgeries because they didn't want to tap. Especially if, if you're not actively defending the yes. move, just tap and then roll again. Yeah, I mean, the only way to improve is to tap. I I promise you, I've tapped more than I have uh, had people in my guillotine or other stuff. So because uh, I'm aware, I have to be aware, uh, kill my ego, you know? So I think, what do you think? I think tapping is one of the best practices we can uh, imbibe in our students and, and our fellow jiu uh, Tapping is not bad. 
showing up to mats is the best thing you can do and tap enough. There is no such thing as you tap 10 times, 10, 10, uh, tapped 100 times. It really doesn't matter. Nobody's counting. Nobody gives a rat's ass. Training room uh, tapping does not matter at all. Yeah. Unless and until you are in the ADCC trials and you're fighting with Gordon Ryan and if you win, you become the biggest name in the world, go for it. It's your call then. What do you say? Yeah, you are 100% on money over there. So now uh, let's talk about another age-old debate which is um, very prevalent in jiu-jitsu and sometimes people take it too far, way too far from realism. That is technique versus strength. Oh, yeah. Okay. So people say, oh, technique conquers all. Kayoteha is a huge proponent of it. Then some people say, oh, no, technique only works if people are of mismatched uh, skill level. And uh, strength works when people are of equal skill level. So what's your uh, opinion on that? When should you start focusing on becoming strong if you're not strong? And when should you start focusing on technique in your jiu-jitsu journey? So let's say I'm a frail looking guy uh, as I was when I started actually I was I was not I was a very big, big guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, was a I big don't want to call him fat but yeah I can call myself fat yeah. so I was a fat dude when I started 96 kgs that was the highest point yeah. and lowest uh, point I would say <laughs> lowest point <laughs> hurting my feelings yeah. okay so uh, let's say you're a skinny dude you start jiu-jitsu and uh, you're always cautious about oh I'm very weak is it a right approach to uh, start working on your strength at the same time? Or do you want to just embrace the grind, suffer, and uh, just continue working on your technique until it reaches a level and then you work on strength? What do you think? I think, uh, I think strength and conditioning is uh, something that has been ignored for the longest time in jiu-jitsu especially. I mean, if you look at uh, things like cricket and even chess, they definitely employ strength and conditioning coaches, mental coaches, because... Uh, after a while, uh, the techniques that are around there will be with me and will be with him. So we want to get an edge uh, out of something. That's why if you see some of our Olympians, uh, more, more than the javelin throws, they are working out their explosiveness, their one rib maxes. So I think SNC is obviously an integral part of getting better at any sport, especially with Jiu-Jitsu becoming so big in the world and there is money coming in and we have people like Gordon Ryan. I mean, if you take an example of Gordon Ryan, I mean, look at him uh, five years from now. He was a skinny dude, small little dude who went into EBI and now suddenly in five years, he looks like a freak of nature. And you can see Galvao, you can see Felipe Pena now lifting a lot. Right. The, there are only a few ex exceptions to this uh, where I think Mikey Musmechi. Marcelo himself. Mar Marcelo Garcia. Marcelo Garcia was like uh, of the view that his uh, weight regime uh, uh, actually interfered with his jiu-jitsu training, so he didn't want to do it. But that was Marcelo Garcia then because he was a genius. But today everyone is a genius. There is information everywhere. When Marcelo Garcia introduced the X card, I mean, nobody knew what an X card was. Or not a lot of people knew what an X card was, especially in the no-gi scenarios, especially his dummy sweep, uh, double coochie sweeps, his guillotines from hell. So now everybody has uh, the same kind of information. So when you have the same kind of information and everybody's as hungry as, as I am or you are, I want to get an edge right. from somewhere to win a fight. And what do you say? I, and I think the problem is that sometimes people take these um, one or two exceptions to the rule yeah. and then just generalize that as the true fact. So like Marcelo Garcia is an obvious exception. Have you seen his legs, bro? His legs are thick as hell. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lachlan Giles, other guy who swears uh, that he does not do any SNC, 
guys like Mikey Musumeci, I'm not too sure about, but these guys are very thin and fragile looking guy, and you'll see the those memes all the time on uh, in Jiu-Jitsu pages that, oh, this guy can do what this to this bodybuilder, which um, you would not expect uh, as an average person. But my point is, these guys are exception because they are at the highest of the highest level. But if you're an average guy who's training in the training room and you're getting mauled and you are also working on your technique at the same time because that's what you do in a jiu-jitsu class, work on technique, you need to take strength and conditioning, as I said. Maybe not conditioning because your conditioning needs are initially being met by rolling in jiu-jitsu, but at least your strength needs. Why? Because strength also, first of all, it makes your move work better because it will give you more power generation, more force uh, production. Um, but at the same time, it will prevent you from injuries. Yes. So if I see someone who is super thin and somebody strong has got a kimura on him, I'm always wondering, like, what if his hand just snaps in half? Absolutely. Whereas having that thick layer of protection yeah. of muscles will actually be a deterrent to injuries. Yes. Right? So just from the injury prevention point of view, I think taking uh, your SNC seriously, as I said, is very important. And I think we have introduced the uh, SNC yes. program as well. Yeah, at we, have, we have we have Nehanj now, fantastic guy who switched from athletics to MMA because he loves the sport. So we're happy to have him here. And we have a solid strength and conditioning program here. Uh, so Piyush, though, goes to Open Box. Shout out to them. Great place to be. Uh, they have great coaches over there. But I think Piyush has great ambitions to hopefully win the trial someday. So if you've seen the minus 88 kilo, kilogram guys, we are looking they, at Craig Jones. Yeah, hundred kg guys. They yeah, hundred basically hundred kilo guys uh, cut down to eighty-eight kgs, and they are monsters. And the strength and conditioning routine is insane. If you don't believe me, uh, just look at Michael Chandler's videos. <laughs> and look at the way he explodes. Look at anyone who's uh, an elite athlete today. They are spending equal time, if not more, in strength and conditioning, and just yeah. hitting the pads or doing wrestling or do, do, doing jujitsu. Even even smaller guys like Aljamain Sterling at one thirty-five weight division. Yeah, yeah, of course. They are like cutting huge weights and they are freakishly strong uh, in their own weight division. Anything that gives you an edge to become a champion, bro. I think if you're a hobbyist trying to just lose weight through jiu-jitsu, you don't have to do much. Right. But if you have good ambitions to actually compete at the elitist level, I think SNC will make sure that you get there. If nothing else, you look fantastic also. You know? I mean, that's a, that's a bonus, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, we will uh, get back to this debate in just one minute. Uh, we'll be back. We're still Rebel Radio. All right, welcome back. Uh, we were talking about the importance of SNC uh, for an athlete, be it whatever, cricket, football, uh, especially in, the, in our case, we were talking about jiu-jitsu. Uh, so yeah, uh, we were talking about how important SNC is, and it'll always be because it is going to be the biggest sport in the world soon enough. MMA, is, MMA already is uh, there rubbing shoulders with the likes of football. And BJJ, obviously, not inside our borders, but outside, it's a very, very popular sport, yeah? So from there, Piyush, uh, obviously, we've established that SNC is an integral part of any kind of sport, especially in jiu-jitsu. I think it is uh, very evident in the both of us that we both uh, go through a strict regimen of SNC. So going, from the, going forward from there, let's talk about uh, the new way of learning things. Yeah. So one question that we get a lot is, and our white belts ask us, uh, a lot of people who message us ask us, how to improve faster at BJJ? So <clears throat> what are the most effective methods that you can use? Because we have seen the example yesterday, I was watching the documentary of Giancarlo, excuse me, 
Gian Carlo Bodoni. Okay. Okay. So this guy used to be a gi guy forever. He comes to train with uh, Gordon Ryan and the new wave team, the newly made new wave team in Austin, uh, right before the ADCC, and maybe six to eight months earlier. And in that eight months of training with them, he goes on and beats the legend in terms of Matheus Denise. Oh yeah, yeah. <coughs> he beats Lucas Barbosa in the finals and gets three submissions out of the four matches and becomes the under 88 kg world champion at ADCC. So that really <coughs> shows us how you can improve very, very quickly in jiu-jitsu, mm. right? So what do you think about that? Uh, I think you're right. I mean, like everything else, uh, we have to be in a position <coughs> to let go of uh, what is traditional. Whenever we've let go of things traditional and embraced whatever is happening in the modern era, that's when we get better. And especially in case of Giancarlo. I mean, look at what he did. I mean, a gi guy, even Merigali is over there. Look at how he just evolved into one of the best, best nogi, nogi grapplers in no time at all. Yeah. So, And because he's training with the genius mind, especially with the training room, and obviously under Danaher, we've seen the kind of athletes that he's created. And everything that he does is anti-establishment. He ch he's not afraid to challenge what has been being has been done for donkey's years. He's not afraid to say, okay, maybe this is good, but maybe I can make it great. And yeah. uh, once that is done, and he also goes on to find even uh, uh, way more efficient ways to doing the same thing again. So I think at the end of the day, we have to, because like we discussed, like you correctly said, Jiu-Jitsu is still very, very new, 1993, is the time when the world was introduced to jiu-jitsu, the world, okay? From there to, it's been 30, 30 years. years. 30 years is nothing for a martial Whereas arts. other sports are like 100, 200. 500, 500, of years. I mean, the Chinese <coughs> have been doing kung fu for ages. Judo has been around for ages. Boxing has been around for ages. So, like you said, we have to start embracing uh, whatever is happening in the current scenario, especially in the sports uh, jiu-jitsu circuit. So let's talk like more locally because I've seen your jiu-jitsu improve by leaps and bounds in the last two years uh, versus what you say you had improved in the last seven to eight years of Easy. your training. So what have you incorporated which has made your game uh, reach the next level and made you much more better grappler than you were in two years versus the eight years of your earlier training? What happened to me was uh, earlier we used to train jiu-jitsu but uh, there was no systematic approach towards training. I mean, there was no... Uh, there was uh, there was not a framework that I could follow. Okay, today, this week, we'll be doing mount system, attacking from the mount. This way, uh, next week, let's go into just reversing the position and defending from the bottom. Right. Uh, next time, we'll uh, play the open guard. In uh, the third, uh, defending the open guard. Next time, we'll be passing the open guard. And obviously, leg locks were still a big, big no-no uh, at that time. Or I was not introduced to good leg, uh, leg locking systems, not in the correct way. Okay, so in the last two years, once I met you guys and I saw that you guys were studying, you guys uh, were doing things that I had, I had not seen because I've been doing jiu-jitsu way, I think at least three to four years more than you have. I think more than that. More yeah. than that. So, but when I started seeing your game, your game had evolved from being uh, an average uh, uh, game to becoming a hugely dynamic uh, flow where you were trying, where you, you were able to get me into whatever positions and keep me there for the longest time. I mean, to tell you honestly, we did not know how five ways to escape from side control. We did not know reactions and actions. 
वी जस्ट से ओके दिस इज द साइड कंट्रोल ओके हाथ इधर डालो ये करो एंड गेट आउट ऑफ दैट व्हाई आर वी डूइंग दिस बेसिकली वन ऑफ टेक्निक्स वन ऑफ टेक्निक्स एंड आल्सो व्हाई नॉट चेनिंग इट बट फॉर एग्जांपल यू माय साइड कंट्रोल यू विल हैव फोर टू फाइव रिएक्शंस राइट राइट सो यू विल नॉट वन रिएक्शन आई कैन नॉट जस्ट मेक माय गेम अराउंड वन रिएक्शन एंड ऑल दोस रिएक्शंस फ्लो बिटवीन ईच अदर राइट so that's what i learned from you and some of my friends who who have been training with and that's why i think you see some improvement in in my game especially we've also demystified uh, he looks right we've demystified we've we've done so many systems so far we get into positionals now uh, when people get you into he looks you're not that scared because believe me when 2 years ago when somebody touched my heel it was a tap touched my heel yeah. forget about i didn't even know the difference between an inside he look and an outside he look so as you correctly pointed out number one factor which will improve you and make your progress faster is gaining more information yes. right because most of us are very clueless when we start and even let's say you have trained for 5 to 6 years if you are not studying as i mentioned you'll still be clueless about the positional knowledge what position you are in what's the right way to escape this position what's the right way to hold this position how to connect this position to a different position how Absolutely. to connect the side control to the mount maybe you know one or two methods but what if it does this kind of reaction and you are don't have an answer for that right so number one method in my opinion in my personal experience that improving at jiu-jitsu is just to collect a lot of information and when i say information it's not random youtube or random instagram real information it's information by the most trusted minds in the sport it's information by the most legitimate authority on the sport people who are at the highest level who have tested the stuff out for you and uh, that comes from a variety of factors like studying their dvds watching their content on youtube and only their content like the most uh, elite people as i said who are at the top uh, because that system is tested out right and uh, the third one is applying having a egoless mind to apply it in the training room because if you go with an approach in the training room oh i'm training since 6 to 7 years and this is what i like about your perspective now is or even earlier you were always willing to learn you had an open mind where you wouldn't feel like oh i've been a blue belt for 4 years now and this is a white belt so i cannot learn from them uh if you keep that kind of mindset or if you keep a mindset as we discussed earlier that you are willing to tap to explore new positions and um, i remember dana made a reel about this that it's absolutely foolish to think that you are going to learn something without losing sometimes right Absolutely. so you have to be willing to lose positions lose and tap in submissions if you want to learn if you try to keep holding on to uh, your ego and say oh no i cannot get tapped by this white belt because i'm experimenting this armbar escape you're never going to learn and that that'll be the unfortunate case because it just spirals into you getting worse while the rest of the world catches up and becomes better and then you keep holding on to that one victory that you had for someone for longer and longer and longer and now you never improve absolutely so first is the gaining information part second is removing ego from yourself and uh, putting yourself in bad spots vulnerable spots where the growth really happens what what are the things that you studying we discussed so Stud- wh- drilling yeah drilling guys uh, uh, drilling i've learned uh, from some of uh, the guys is 5 minutes on the clock one move for 5 minutes one side yeah 
you take one break and do the same move on the other side. Do at least five rounds per day. And like uh, we were discussing, try to apply that. Uh, roll with uh, lower belts, people that you trust, and give them, give them those positions. And if they catch you, good for them. Tap. Yeah. Good for them. That's a big one again. Uh, trying to apply the moves that you're learning or experimenting on someone of a lower or inferior skill level. Because if you try to, let's say, drill a move, uh, a rear naked choke escape or a back escape, let's say, and you go to someone who is better than in jiu-jitsu than you and more of a higher skill level and you try to apply that, you'll get frustrated because now suddenly your move does not work. You cannot escape because they know what's going to happen or probably they have seen that before. So to make that work, you have to go to a lesser skill level person, try to just get your body mechanics right by applying it, and then try to bring it to the more advanced person. Yes. So because if you do not drill, you don't know what to do. I mean, uh, just uh, we've been studying scrimmage for the last one month. Just because we study scrimmage doesn't make us experts in scrimmage. So in the last 14 years, uh, uh, we've been only doing positional rounds. Another thing, Piyush, I think in my opinion, is we don't do enough positional rounds. Right. If you do not do enough positional rounds, you're always playing. You're going to be playing your A game, always. Uh, there's nothing much you can do. I mean, if you want to le- get into leg locks, if you want to defend or attack 50-50 positions, get to 50-50 first. And uh, talk to your partner. If if you catch me, I tap. If I catch you, you tap. If I escape, again, it's t- time to stop and we go back. As soon as you get back, don't start engaging in your e-game. I think that's what I've learned from all you guys. Positionals are key. We will, like I said, scrimmage. Now, finally, after about a month, I'm beginning to slowly understand what uh, to do and my body is reacting during a live role right. you know so i think that is very very important studying guys the resources are out there so just download them start take the time to study one hour one and a half hours half an hour and drill them even, even if it's two moves and please do not teach students moves that you learn off instagrams because unless, that that only Unless it is my Instagram. Yeah, I mean, that you can do. Yeah, Because <laughs> or, his information... Or, or someone's legit son, no, Instagram. Because that you can do. And also, see, uh, for example, buggy choke is so big right now. Yeah, So some people don't even know how to hip escape properly. Yeah. And they're trying buggy chokes. For me, that's, I think, uh, not moving in the right direction. Guys. Right. For example, imagine a, a student. I come to you, and this is my first week. We and have our student, Sachin, who does not know even one side control escape. Yeah. And again... It's our fault also because we ask him to drill all the time. He never drills and we just let him go. But he is a master of buggy chokes. So every single time you try to pass his guard, he'll give up the side control, he'll try to buggy you. Obviously, it will work on all the white belts. But once they start to get savvy, once he tries to apply it on a high-level person, it never works. So there's no growth happening there. Also, I think people need to understand, understand the difference between a trick and a technique. A buggy choke, in my opinion, humble opinion, is a trick. People people will understand. You will have to let people go to the side control, then you can transfer the buggy. But whereas, if you want to take the back from the mount, you can make it happen. Yeah. It's know? a great trick. Yeah. A lot of people have won great uh, matches with it. But the thing is, with tricks, is that people eventually figure it out. Yes. And uh, whereas a position like mount is unstoppable, even if you figure it out. I mean, Piyush, you've been studying for the longest time. You know, I mean, I think you're one of the guys who studies more than anyone that I know. I mean, uh, name five DVDs, like five resources for someone starting. Uh, let's say it's his first month, yeah, or even his first year. 
where, where, where do you want to point them and say, okay, these are the five DVDs that you should study? So first year is the right place to start, in my opinion, because when I started within three months of doing basic comparatives, I was like, okay, I have been doing too much of basic comparatives. Now I need to learn some more of what superpositions have to offer. So during that time, I used, I got my hands on Ryan Hall's videos, mm. and he used to be the superstar teacher at that point of time when Danner was not so famous. This was back in 2017 when I started. And from 2018, I think the interview system series came along. But watching him was really eye-opening because he went into a lot of conceptual details. His way of approaching jiu-jitsu was very different. And again, he was chaining techniques. He was like, okay, if X does not work, Y would go. If Y does not work, Z would go, right? But a lot of instructors who had the DVD in the contemporary times, they were all like, okay, guys, so here is close guard opening now here is uh seat belt to back take now here the third dvd the third move that i'm doing is a x guard sweep so that way of learning is very convoluted so if you are uh, approaching uh, instructional you have to learn a system and i think in my opinion the best introductory system in jiu-jitsu is enter the system series okay so if you have trained for a year get your hands or enter the system and then some people take it uh, completely in a different direction. So we have another student, Ash. He, I asked him to study DVDs and he tells me, oh, he downloaded all of Gordon Rand's <laughs> recent DVDs where he is showing them the joint logscapes and everything. I was like, bro, have you even heard Gordon talk for like a 10 minutes stretch? He will show you like five different options from one positions and then you'll be like, what, what the hell should I do? Absolutely. So start with Danner. He is much. He has much more conceptual approach. Uh, it will. He. The greatest skill of Danner is taking complex positions and breaking it down in principles, which will be applicable everywhere. And you have to see it to understand it to feel it. What I'm saying. So start with Danner. Enter the system. I think he has six DVD series in that where he goes into leg locks, front head lock. Uh, all basically positions or submissions which are important, the arm bars, the kimuras, the best way to do those submissions also because a lot of people think that they know arm bars. And then when I see them finish an arm bar, they'll be going two hands on the elbow and trying to yank it back, sometimes hitting the wrist in their own face, right? So they don't even know how to actually unlock the hands from the arm bar. So enter the system series would be my number one pick and this should be followed maybe till a year or two because you cannot it took us like what three four years to get used to the enter easy, the system series easy. it came out in 2018 and then kept coming out till 2021 and then dana moved on to the new wave series so start with the enter the series system and there is so much content over there anyone who asks me about any dvd i just dana forgive me but i just uh, send them the enter the system series so you can start from there. What, what do you think people should study? I currently? think so. I think that's enter the system is basically your offensive cycle that you'll understand, okay, this is how I move, this is how I change submissions. And obviously after that, once you, uh, once you are getting there, you can also uh, study them uh, simultaneously and exit the system. 100%. You know, I mean, uh, escapes. Again, Danaha is the guy to go to because his details, nobody can question. Uh, it gets watered down when it comes to Gary and everyone else. But if you studied uh, John Danaher's system, your positional and your, your positionals and your conceptual uh, the ideas about uh, how 
I get submitted and how just a millimeter or two of uh, movement can save you from that submission and, and potentially also get you into a counterattack system. So I think that is very, very important for you to understand. So after enter the system, study Danaha, all escapes. Then obviously, uh, because guard passing is still a myth in the country, people are just guard passing everywhere. I think after that, uh, the open guard series or the closed guard series uh, or the guard passing series, I think is the way forward. Yeah. And from there, I th I, by the time you uh, reach these uh, DVDs and finish them, you will have found your mojo. You would have understood, okay, these are the things that I can do, these are the things I can't do. And from there, your uh, conceptual understanding of things would have been broadened to a much bigger scale. So then you can pick and choose. If you want to do leg locks by Lachlan Giles, if you want to do leg locks by John Danaher, Gary Tonon, or Craig Jones, that the, the journey then becomes yours. Your yeah. IQ becomes much yeah. better by then. Because your positional awareness becomes way better. Your yeah. breaking mechanics, a lot of people, like you said, some people are still breaking the arm bars on the groin. I mean, there have this DVD was out five to six years ago. Please have a look at the DVD. So yeah. you, you guys will get there. So what next? So I think that's kind of enough information. Like we always discuss, if you have more questions, uh, if you have more questions regarding these things, please do not hesitate to either get us on Rebel Radio India, hit him up uh, uh, magicman.13 because he is uh, you'll be more than happy to send you stuff don't send it to me because uh, i don't do that i will not guys i do <laughs> not believe in piracy or, or you can just uh, send it to rebel mma india or just send it anywhere get your basics in place uh, then uh, we can all collaborate into getting in to jiu to the next level so moving on from uh, this or should we move on do you have yeah, something yeah. to add so i have another uh, fun question for you um again we are talking about jiu-jitsu and its evolution uh jiu-jitsu in Indian perspective, but let's talk about the legends of jiu-jitsu, right? Yes. Yeah. So the people who have really influenced jiu-jitsu. And I think this is good to mention for people who are younger in the sport because you should always know your roots, you should always know the history, how your sport has evolved. So you should not just be fancied by the Gordon Ryans and the yes. Gary Tonans of today. Because there have been people who have put a lot of work in the past for the sport to reach where it is today and why you know this sport today. So let's do a top five. Top five should top be five good. Yeah. Top five people who have influenced the uh, top five legends, I would say, who have influenced the sport into becoming what it is today. Uh, for me, if let's, you let's uh, start from number five. Number five. Oh, oh, okay, I already made a list from one <laughs> to five. I have to go back. So I'm going to start from top. If, you, uh, if that's okay with you. You mean the number, number one, one number person? One guy, no, number le le let's from save the that for the list. From, from the bottom? Okay, actually, let's start from the number one. Uh, for me, number one uh, will always be Marcelo Garcia, in my opinion, uh, because that's when I uh, started understanding Jiu-Jitsu through his roles on YouTube, because most of the things I did not understand, to tell you honestly, but that was exactly what I wanted to become because it made it look so easy. Marcelo Garcia's roles are not fancy. He's not uh, berimboling you. He's not uh, getting underneath, uh, grabbing your leg or getting into knee bars. Or he looks, he's moving into positions, taking your back, choking you out, or guillotining you. So that was uh, kind of simplified jiu-jitsu for me. And uh, I thought I could also probably do it. But obviously, at that time when I was looking at him, my jiu-jitsu knowledge was next to nothing. So what I thought was easy were actually uh, moves chained after one after the other in uh, 
perfect sink so that he could actually expose the neck and get them. 100%. You know, so Marcel Garcia, number one for me after that. Uh, I'll, okay, I'll just yeah. stop you right there because I want to sing some praises for Marcelo Garcia. Yeah, yeah, also. of course, go for it. So as I as I was talking about uh, the point earlier that today people watch the B team videos and these contents and they feel like oh it's so cool, actually Marcelo Garcia was the first guy to do yeah. this where he had the MG in action videos. Remember? Oh my god! Which people were drooling over and this was back in 2010s, 2012 yeah, 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 yeah. when people were so n when the sport was also super new. It was pr proliferating in um, the US. And back then, he made all these videos, putting all these high-level guys on the highlight reel of his own. The social media was not so huge then, so we didn't get to see it as much apart uh, from the YouTube. He had to go to YouTube. But as you said, watching his roles really influenced a lot of other, other people's jiu-jitsu because he was a smaller guy. And for a small guy to technically do whatever he wanted, play around with world-class black belts like Ryan Hall, Ben Askren, I don't know who was yeah, a black JD belt Torres. back then, Jerry Torres, uh, Bernardo, Faria. Bernardo Faria, who was a heavyweight back then and heavyweight world champion. So Marcelo really paved the way for the sport that Jiu-Jitsu became today because he made Jiu-Jitsu single-handedly one of the biggest sport in that era, right? Because Marcelo Garcia, as I said, smaller guy, technique over strength, uh, lesser strength, more technique, obviously. And then his game, he could use the same guillotine, the same back takes, the same X-guard sweeps on anyone in the world, and you could do nothing to stop it. And not only in the gym, but he was also an ADCC world champion, ADCC medalist. And he beat guys like Crone Gracie, which is not a easy thing to say, no. have on your resume. And he did it effortlessly. So Marcelo Garcia, definitely one of the legends. That yeah. was a great number fifth pick. Yeah, number one. Number one pick. Oh, sorry. Number Bye -bye. one. Also, right now Marcelo is fighting cancer. So That's I hope, a sad one, yeah. Professor, you get better soon because uh, you have influenced a lot of my jujitsu in per, uh, personally. So I wish you all the best, and I hopefully, I hopefully you get out of this nonsensical disease that's troubling you and your chemotherapy has started, I know, and we wish you all the best. The whole Jiu-Jitsu community is basically rooting for him to uh, because we get cannot, out strong. I mean, he has to win this. He has yeah. to win this final battle, then we can still keep learning from him. So what has been your number one pick? So I've thought about the number one pick, and I would take it like way back, since we are talking in uh, terms of how Jiu-Jitsu is today, what uh, it is. And there's this guy, very well known. His pictures are almost in a lot of um, gym who follow the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu system. Um, it's not Helio, it's actually Mitsuo Maeda, or also known as Count Koma. Okay, so just a little bit of trivia or uh, history behind this guy. So Jigoro Kano is known as the father of Judo, right? Because he took Judo from a primitive martial art called Japanese Jujutsu and really systemized all the throws all the techniques, Nevada section, the Ashivada section, and everything, uh, made it into a coherent and learnable system, right? And he did it, Jigoro did it in a time where there were very few instructors, and he himself couldn't find any instructors. And then comes this guy who was his brightest pupil, Mitsuo Maeda. And he started implementing a lot of Nevada techniques, which people hadn't seen in Judo before. Because primer, I think he came from a sumo background, or uh, at least he had some sumo knowledge or samurai uh, knowledge. 
so he started using those techniques which people had not seen and it was more ground based and then when uh, japan opened up for the world in 1900s and started uh, mixing up more with the global world uh, kano had to send some of his brightest students to america for exposing judo to a global audience just like how the brazilians did later and uh, he chose uh, his brightest pupil mutsuo maida to go and do these uh, fight against different martial arts style so he went to europe won a lot of matches there under the flagship of judo he goes to japan he goes to uh, us wins a lot of matches there and then fortunately he ends up in brazil where he uh, meets gestao gracie who was the father of carlos gracie senior and um, carlos gracie uh, gestao wanted to teach his son jiu jitsu or judo at that time and he met this guy who was super high level who was submitting everyone in the local scene uh, people hadn't seen arm bars before people hadn't seen um, rear naked chokes before because judo was primarily a art of throwing and this guy introduced the gracie family to jiu jitsu and then the gracie family just took it from there yeah. so mitsuo maida if he did not have come to brazil probably the brazilian would be missing from the jiu jitsu and everything which comes along with it there so that's go. my number 1 there's there you go history uh, we're still on uh, top 5 picks of the legends in jiu jitsu we'll be right back after a short break so we are still with uh, the top 5 picks of the legends in jiu jitsu i picked marcelo he picked some japanese guy mitsuo maida <laughs> not some japanese guy <laughs> because i couldn't pronu- <laughs> i couldn't pronounce his name mitsuo maida we'll call him count koma that's count like koma his yeah i can't name i can remember that count koma so obviously great Bro, history you talk all japanese all day the kanibasami the to tell you honestly guys <laughs> i did not know about this history i did not know i just knew i think a lot of people don't know about I it did that's not so know about important it because i just knew uh jigoro uh, kano probably uh, not jigoro kano kimura yeah kimura i know kimura i know i know his famous fights with uh, elio that's about it that my history goes back uh, as far back as that but this is great knowledge even for me uh so i hope this will also bring in some insight so uh, my number 2 pick would obviously be hoja gracie i mean there is no one like him i've never seen anyone like him he also treats marcelo garcia like he's a white belt because hoja gracie jiu jitsu is uh i mean what what is that it's dominating jiu jitsu i mean he will do exactly the same thing to you that he'll do to me to piyush and everyone on the planet bushesha don't can, even count uh, on him i mean i mean i mean and you yeah. can do anything about it Okay I mean there's nothing you can do I mean he's going to sit on top of you choke you out he's going to take your back choke you out gi no gi I mean if no there's matter. if there's anyone who is the top dog or the goat goat in jiu jitsu it has to be Hoyce Gracie no yes Hoyce Gracie yeah yeah uh, there's no one talking no, about Hoyce oh sorry I always miss names so yeah it's it's going to be Hoyce Gracie yeah. so the number one uh, the number second pick for me is going to be the legend the living legend that's Hoja Gracie. Hoja Gracie. So as you rightly said Hoja Gracie is one of the best competitor of all time, best Brazilian jiu-jitsu guy of all time um in terms of the competition record and uh, today people again talk about the Gordon Ryan being the goat but Gordon hasn't competed in the gi and that'll always be a question mark over his legacy. He'll be the nogi greatest of all time. Um we w- would love have loved to see a timeline parallel where hoja was going against um gordon but i think guys like hoja built up the road for a gordon to be made yes, right 100%. because he was in that training room 
under Danner's influence as well, or Danner getting influenced by Hodger as well. It was a mutual thing, uh, which led to so many techniques, which we see in Gordon's game now getting uh, implemented, like the mount position and how Gordon is so great at it. Because Hodger used to be great at mount. Before earlier than that, who did we see dominate from mount? Not many people. Now right? till till the last two years was supposed to be not so. It great was a move. mysterious position. People I didn't like mount at all because people always used to stop on me. And I was I was into guard and playing bottom. And the number one attack that people uh, I think know from Mount is in Americana. Okay. You ask someone what do you do from Mount, they'll be like mm. Americana. So, so last month we just finished the whole Mount series of going down Mount series, and suddenly we see why is it so powerful. We see why when Gordon Ryan sits on top of you, you can't even move. Forget about moving. You can't breathe, and you are trapping to pressure. You know. So I think like like we were discussing earlier, these things are available, my friend. They we are not making this up in India. Some great minds have already done the hard work for us. Just pick it up, study, drill, make mistakes. Do not be afraid to make mistakes and take a journey from there. So number three. Number two for me. Num oh, it's not. I, I did not say number two. Oh, okay, Hodger. sorry. So uh, my number two is, again, uh, going a little bit earlier in time, it will be Helio Gracie because Helio is undisputedly the father of the modern Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And when I say modern, I say post the judo or jujitsu era, um, because he was the one who took, or as people say, because there is some dispute about that as well, uh, when you go into the much more deeper history, uh, he was the guy who was the fragile one, who was the smaller one in the family, and he took a sport which was considered a little bit brutish, a little bit more strength-based, and as we discussed earlier, he made it more savvy towards the technical side, okay? And I think that's a very important thing to note because Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu's USP all the way uh, till now has been technique over strength. over strength, okay? And again, talking about similar size people, technique over strength, or people at least who do not do Jiu-Jitsu against them, even the technique will conquer them, yes. right? So uh, Helio was the one who challenged everyone who took fights with people who were bigger than him, even won some, lost some, no problem. Kimura fight, we all know about it. Mm. But he was the one who <coughs> imbued this uh, philosophy of having much more better leverage, introducing the uh, probably the guard position and making it better in Jiu-Jitsu. He was not the one who created guard, obviously. Guard was there f uh, for a very long time. But he made the guard better. There's no doubt about it. And then... He created a family of fighters who represented the Gracie train, like Hickson Gracie, Hoyce Gracie later on the line. Carlson um, Gracie. Gracie was his brother, Carlson Gracie Jr. And um, the whole Gracie family which came after Helio and Carlson Gracie uh, Jr. Carlson Gracie Jr. did not compete as much as Helio did. Um, and these guys just took the sport from, um, they gave it an identity, I would say. Okay, so my number two, Helio Gracie. Nice, because I think without Helio Gracie, we would not have the word Brazilian behind right. Jiu-Jitsu. Because, yeah, I mean, if you go to any gym, at least in the country or even abroad, you see a nice poster of Helio Gracie gracing the, uh, one of the world's... And he, was, he was so passionate about the sport, even when he was yes. so old, like uh, Henna and Hiron. Yeah. They always talk about, oh, we learned this from our grandfather, our grandfather passed this... Even, even the legend Henzo Gracie, yeah. um, he talks about uh, these memories with uh, Helio so fondly. So obviously, yeah, I mean, some crazy guy 
uh, starts doing things, the world tells him it's not going to work, and suddenly it's become the one of the biggest sports in the country. And uh, in terms of uh, self-defense also, after judo, I think uh, if you mix judo and jiu-jitsu, there's nothing better for self-defense in the world. But yeah, we are still with our top number five picks. Uh, I'm at my number three. I'm going to go with uh, Rafa Mendes, obviously. Rafa Mendes, uh, why? That's because interesting, and yeah, I want to hear. Yeah, Rafa Mendes, why? Because he showed the world that you do not have to spend uh, hours and hours and years and years of doing jiu-jitsu to be the greatest in the world. I mean, he was such a quick turnaround, and uh, he started winning KADCC when he was 19. He was 19, but but he has been training for the longest time. No, but uh, not uh, we had never seen before. Have we not seen anyone? The young champion. Uh, at 19, I mean, yeah. he was not the biggest guy. And uh, Hafa was also a huge gi guy. I mean, if you right. look at Hickson Cups and all the other cups, he basically dance is basically dancing around other black belts. And even uh, his gym, AOJ, today is still producing some of the best in the world in the gi, no doubt. And I'm sure they also have a no-gi program, which they are just going to hit the world with sometime. Yeah, I because think um, this guy, Holabate is, Holabate is one of the prodigies. And Tainan is also about to debut. Uh, so, Hafa Mendes, why? Because he's created this system uh, where uh, this smaller guy is kind of actually dominating some of the biggest guys, uh, biggest names in the world of Jiu-Jitsu. Right. Gi. Okay? He and proved... Art of Jiu-Jitsu, it has uh, really elevated the way a competitive team uh, oh my God. fights. Right? I mean, we just dream to reach those kind of levels of a room where uh, Guy Mendes is just holding the iPad and instructing people. Even his brother right. Guy Mendes is very close to him, but again, Hafa being the more uh, celebrated uh, uh, Mendes. And also accomplished. Accomplished. Because these, uh, Hafa Mendes, so when I, uh, why I say number three is because uh, I'm not saying because the kind of impact he's made in Jiu-Jitsu, but in my life as a right, vegetarian. Right. Yeah? I mean, so when I watched Hafa Mendes, I watched him when I was already past 30. So I was like, oh my God, this guy is... Poetry eight. in motion. Poetry in motion. I mean, you see him and he just flows. He's just uh, doing things that I think uh, nobody is still doing presently because the way he passes the guard, the way he takes the back, the way he chains submissions from everywhere... I mean, it's still very difficult to uh, emulate that. Also, he's not competed with some of the easiest guys. His competition in the Gi have been with some really, really hardcore people. Cobrinia. Cobrinia uh, was his number one, one, number one nemesis. Cobrinia was unbeatable, and he's beaten him at least three or four times. Yeah. So uh, the kind of impact that it uh, brought in my life, saying, oh, my God, this is also possible at, at 18, you know? Yeah, he made and passing look so cool. Passing looks cool. And and first it was just uh, gi, gi, gi. Then he was debuted in the no gi. And no time he was uh, getting people into his uh, anag famous anaconda choke. Even uh, if you uh, watch some roles with him and Galva when they were together. He submitted uh, uh, Galva yeah. with, with, with an with anaconda choke. Galva for 20 minutes could not pass his guard. Have you, we've all know uh, the monster that uh, Andre Galvao is. Half so Mendes is so big. Half Mendes still is uh, in his full sleeves rash card. I don't know where he why he wears that, but it was unbelievable for me. Okay, he can do that to other people in the circuit, but to someone like uh, Galvao, Galvao was already an established grappler by then. Yeah. He was already a multiple time. He was an ADC champion. Yeah, champion, multiple time Gi World champion. So and Half Mendes treating him like just another sparring partner was insane for me. Uh, to just witness. So that's why, uh, to me personally, it was something that uh, hopefully I would become someday, you know, but difficult task. So that's why I chose him as number three. Awesome.
So my number three is going to be someone who uh, really brought the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as a third generation or probably later generation into the public eye, into the huge phenomena that has become today. And that was the debut of Hoist Gracie in UFC, yeah. right? Because if that night Hoist would have lost, maybe not win in the fashion that he did, we would not be sitting here, no. right? Because that UFC tape is where everyone started their jiu-jitsu journey from. They used to st watch those UFC tapes and be like, who the hell is this guy? What is this martial art? What is Which he is doing? Which is the sport? He's beating people who are monsters, seven feet, taekwondo, 10th degree black belt. Some big sumo guy who we um, thought this little guy will never take. Ken Shamrock. On. Ken Shamrock. People who have been a veteran of uh, MMA in that era. So, Hoyce Gracie is an absolute legend of the sport. And if he hadn't done on that night of 1993, I think it was April, the month of April, we wouldn't be sitting here. And that's an absolute fact. And it was not so long ago, just 30 years back. So, he really shaped up how the jiu-jitsu was viewed as a martial art. Because before that, yes, it was big. Yes, the Gracies were big. They were going to the uh, Japanese promotions and winning it. But to do that in America and the pop and the domino effect that it created after that was a big one for me. And Hoyce um, Gracie, less said, more yeah, about I, it. I, I mean, I think, I think you're right. I agree with you because I think, and uh, that was not sports jiu-jitsu, guys. You could even slap people, groin shots were there, you could hold their hair. And it no, was no holds barred. No holds barred. And for jiu-jitsu to show, no, jiu-jitsu not being a striking art also, you know? I mean, no punches, no kicks. You don't practice that when you're practicing jiu-jitsu. Just closing the distance, taking people down, and basically doing whatever the hell you wanted to do. I think it's a great number three pick. Yeah, I did not pick him because I have not followed uh, Hoist so much, but the impact that he has on jiu-jitsu is undeniable. You're right, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Who is your number fourth pick? Number fourth uh, pick uh, would be one of the modern guys, uh, I would say. I would, for me, it has been Danaher. Uh, why? That's a good one. Because uh, Danaha has changed the way I look at Jiu-Jitsu. Thanks to him, my Jiu-Jitsu has improved in the way I've been looking to improve my game for the longest time. You know, <laughs> through him and his students. Obviously, without him, there are no, there is no Gordon Brown. There is no Gary Brennan. Or there is no, uh, uh, we don't even have a Craig Jones. We don't have a modern Jiu-Jitsu. We don't have a modern Jiu-Jitsu. So without Danaha's mm, and his openness to teach... His, uh, uh, the way he explains things, like we discussed, how he simplifies things uh, from uh, conceptual after, uh, concept after concept and, make it, and makes it so accessible for people staying, uh, uh, living in India also. Uh, exactly. uh, in this case, uh, me. So Danaha uh, has, if not, uh, even more than Marcelo, even more than Hodja, even more than Rafa Mendes, uh, Danaha has impacted my life directly because I follow his instructionals and whatever little I know today is because he took the time along with Bernardo Faria and just opened his minds, uh, mind and his heart and said, take it. Let's make Jiu-Jitsu great again. So for that reason alone, for what he's done for the community and me personally in my journey as a Jiu-Jitsu practitioner, so it has to be John Danner. Yeah, so John Danner was my number fourth pick as well because uh, the kind of impact he has had in last uh, 10 years on the sport is uh, nothing short of a uh, miracle because 
before this jisu was still considered as a good way of you know having a fun time being a hobby started but if we are talking about wrestling if we are talking about sambo still people viewed jujitsu as a little bit of an inferior sport because uh, of the intensity of the other sport and the non systematic way in which jujitsu was uh, done so he really made it very cohesive and obviously he had helps helped and insights from a lot of people and that's what usually is no man is an island uh you always have people who you learn from and even we as instructors we learn from so many people probably will pass it on to our students um but the kind of instructionals um revolution that dana created where you had eight dvds that became the norm now where eight dvds you are studying one hour of content um in those dvds each dvd and then you start to you know uh understand you so at a much more much more deeper level much more uh, uh conceptual level so it really reformed the way how people taught jujitsu how uh, students learn jujitsu online because earlier you would go to someone's website you had a move from x position you had a move from y position but watching the dana's dvd studying from his stuff really revolutionized how the sport was carried forward no just streamlined everything for me he yes. just he just brought the a b's and c's together for me otherwise all everything was a puzzle okay today we spell apple tomorrow we'll do encyclopedia uh, day after tomorrow we'll pick up a fancy name like tarantula or something so if i have to say uh, if uh, who is my um, greatest coach of all time it will be dana 100% because 100%, yeah. i have just i feel myself a direct student at this point yeah, i think <laughs> so all of, all of his dvds i think all, i think i think all the world uh, yeah. all the students in the world because everybody is talking far side near side yeah. before that it was just left hand and right hand right it was not the near shoulder or the far shoulder it was not like so you know so i think those jargons have caught on to us as instructors also because that's what we study from this that has also been passed directly to Gary Tonen obviously says like so far side near side yeah. Gordon Ryan that's very interesting because yesterday I was listening to a podcast of Jason Rao who is also like a Dana student uh, originally Matt Serra Academy so he was like uh, oh yeah when i started taking privates with Dana at the blue basement when he was in new york i and people around him become so influenced by his method of teaching that when they instruct in their own academy they carry along that verbage or uh, uh, speaking uh, fashion like we do the same i think i think we are not very conscious like right. because that because you brought it in i want to speak like him because that's the most lucid way of transferring whatever knowledge that i have towards my students exactly so i think it's i think it's the so who is the number 4 oh you, we both choose dan dan yeah? so we're getting into number 5 and then we'll we're tailing in towards the podcast so my number 5 pick would be right now uh would be gordon ryan i think so because uh, not for anything how has he influenced me i've i've been talking about these uh, number 4 picks how right. they have directly influenced me personally gordon ryan has influenced me personally by just uh, making it possible for me to think that jiu jitsu can be big because by i am uh, because we are organizing strangle now by by also forcing you to come on instagram and post technique now yeah. <laughs> because of the ig exposure yeah i think it is important for people to understand that i know a few things and i want to really share it with the world because somebody was kind enough to share it with me 
So I, I am kind of making, I'm just passing on what I've learned from others to others. Hopefully, if you're watching, if you like some of the things that I'm doing, just follow. But yeah, coming to Gordon Ryan, Gordon Ryan has made a huge impact in the Indian subcontinent, at least in this country, where people are thinking of having jiu-jitsu as a career. Right. You know, when, uh, that, uh, when that happens, things like strangle make sense. That's why when we were sitting together and when we were ideating about strangle, that's where we saw the growth, the potential of uh, competition in the country without people like Gordon Ryan making the right kind of noises, even if, it's, uh, if, even if you don't agree with him. You know, uh, it uh, made Jiu-Jitsu interesting for me. It made Jiu-Jitsu... Like introduce uh, it to such a global audience. Yeah, and, and uh, trash-talking, other stuff. Otherwise, there's too much of bullshit about honor and all that nonsense uh, around Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, yeah, I mean, those things uh, don't make for good entertainment. Those things make for good quotes on Instagram and good books, maybe. But if we have to make jiu-jitsu viable and make it lucrative as a business also, because at the end of the day, if you're not making money, all that big talk about uh, it's changing my life, it's making me a better person, it's not going to amount to anything. Let's, let's be real, right? 100%. So that's why I choose Gordon Ryan, because with him at the epicenter right now, especially in the Nogi seen the world is looking at jiu-jitsu. The world is looking at jiu-jitsu in a good light or a bad light. It doesn't really matter for me. But jiu-jitsu is slowly becoming the buzzword when it comes to uh, whenever people are talking MMA, boxing, or martial arts in general. Jiu-jitsu is very close to boxing and other bigger mixed martial arts, bigger martial arts that have been on for donkey's years. Right. Know? So uh, I would like you to guess my fifth one because... Uh, he is also the person who made jiu-jitsu reach a l big global audience. I'm sorry, it's Joe Rogan. It's not Joe Rogan. Uh, Nate Jones. No, no. Let, let me just Nate give Rogan. more detail. So, um, and he really impacted the growth of Nogi Jiu-Jitsu. So, Nogi Jiu-Jitsu, global audience, really changed the competitive scene worldwide. Lachlan Jacks. Uh, you're way, way far off. Okay, I'll divulge it. It's Eddie... Freaking bravo, guys. Okay. Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus. How can we, I forget him? This guy flies on the radar because now he's not active. But let's be real. Ten years ago, this guy was all the rage. The biggest uh, series or you can say franchisee of uh, jiu-jitsu schools in the world is the 10th planet. Right? I agree. He has created a great economy, uh, economic model, as you said, for uh, jiu-jitsu gyms to thrive. And he has built all that single-handedly just on the back of his one victory in the ADCC against the legend Hoyler Gracie. Oh, yeah. And to do that and have so much faith in the Nogi aspect of Jiu-Jitsu when everyone in the world did Gi Jiu-Jitsu. And for that, he was hated by the Gracie family for the longest time because he used to say, oh, in Gi, we do not, in uh, an MMA fight, we do not require a Gi. Because what are you going to do? Are you going to hang off the grips when there are when the person is shirtless in front of you? So his rubber guard, maybe it's not the best technique in today's world, but he laid the foundation uh, of the Nogi premise of Jiu-Jitsu where uh, he made people take notice that Gi is going to be redu redundant. He was a visionary in that point of time. The EBIs, they yeah. changed the game how Nogi uh, Jiu-Jitsu was displayed to the world. A Gordon Ryan is not a superstar if there is no EBI. A Gary Tonan does not become a superstar if there is no EBI. Craig Jones. Right? Craig Jones, the EBI moment. So all these stars that we see today have one big EBI moment. 
and he has now gone on to combat jiu-jitsu which is another fascinating aspect and he has bet that is going to be the future of jiu-jitsu so again this guy is a visionary he has created a great model of how nogi jiu-jitsu uh, should look like he has a great uh, franchise in ten planet itself some of the best human beings or collection of people um he might not have the most cutting edge technology but we can see people from 10 plant also who have taken note like pj barge and these guys doing fantastic keith krikorian at the world stage in adcc the freakazoid brothers so i think eddie bravo is a legend uh, in our community we all know um, we used how much we used to love watching those jre episodes yeah. where Eddie Bravo was super high yeah, super <laughs> talking high. controversies and all the conspiracy theories so this is I a man agree. who is very close to our heart as a jiu-jitsu um, competitor agree, athlete agree. or person 100% because i think that's that would be my honorable mention now because that you brought i don't know how i skipped it because right. yeah without Eddie Bravo there is no modern jiu-jitsu you're right uh, as much as John Dana has done to the sport Eddie Bravo has done slightly more. He was on the competition organizing yeah. side of it. I mean, otherwise, if people like me wouldn't have any competition, uh, competition aspirations to get into, let's say, EBI or ADCC right. in the world, why would uh, Jiu-Jitsu be popular? And EBI was the first rule set where we were actually excited, right? Because, oh, the match has to finish and you have to try to finish it. Yes. There's no refs, no judge decisions, nothing. He cut away all the bullshit yeah. and he made... escaping the back so popular attacking the back so popular and because of his rule set the EBI rules was born Danaher's tactics or oh, the straight jacket system to attack from the back people are not learning back escapes back then maybe only Hodger did or people who were really at the highest level but in the average gym where your instructor was so good that he would just pass your guard mount you or just submit you from side control he would never go and practice his back escapes but ebi rules changed the way how we trained the back escapes how we went into a philosophy of escaping the positions like uh, arm bars things like that i think great pick i mean uh, i don't know why i didn't choose him at all but yeah i think it's one of the best picks of the day because a lot of people a lot of us a lot of you guys i'm sure don't know who eddie bravo is under all the gordon ryan and uh, craig right. jones cloud that is over he's also now kind of shadow banned or yeah. banned on instagram to do his conspiracy thing yeah, but which I is but i think if you yeah. if you want to look up uh, eddie bravo his vision uh, in actually bringing about uh, the revolution that he has brought about in the uh, jiu jitsu arena is unfathomable and thank you mr eddie bravo for all that you've done for the sport so let's uh, quickly move on to the next one are you okay with that yeah, yeah i think we should uh, this should be a last topic yeah this should be the last topic so I think uh so I hope you guys have had fun so far. We had a great time because we can talk jiu jitsu <laughs> even when we are sleeping. <laughs> yeah. So this yeah. is not about what we know or what we want you to know. It's basically it's a knowledge sharing platform where we are trying to tell you what we think is good and bad. It's for you to take it or not take it. But if you think it is something worthwhile investing in investigating into, please hit us up anytime at Rebel Radio. Uh, we are on Instagram. We also have a page on YouTube where this episode will be live. will be put uh, telecast uh you can hit us up on uh, rebel of india or you can uh, hit pu shop in magicman.13 or me at rajiv khati official i'll be'll be more than happy to answer any queries related to martial arts if you want anything about your personal life i cannot help you with that <laughs> so it was fun it was a great episode i think this is what we need to share more indian context more 
uh, the podcast more addressing what we are doing and what we should be doing and making it more uh, ambitious towards this beautiful country of ours. Rajiv, just because you mentioned the Indian context, uh, let's bring this up because we Indians, especially some of the Indian gyms, I don't know where they are, how they exist. They feature a lot on this page called Magdojo Life. Oh yeah. So every single day, some guy randomly who doesn't even do jujitsu will send me DM me a video of some random guy, some random martial art instructor teaching a fake ass move, which would never work in a million years, like showing a fully locked RNC and then escaping it in the weirdest way possible. Some girl is putting a chin down. Cute looking girl <laughs> is showing that move, and then they are just flipping over the person, and even worse. the chin conditioning let's talk about that oh my god guys there is a thing called cte okay <laughs> i do not want to get into it because it's not my domain there is a thing called cte our chin is not a muscle guys okay you do not uh, break muscles in the gym and go home eat good food and rest and your muscle swells up our chin doesn't work like that okay uh you get rocked once your chin gets into uh, your body your brain starts thinking oh my god i need to save this guy's life so it shuts down if you are getting shut down in 10 seconds next time it's going to be 8 seconds and after continuous nonsense uh, chin condition uh, chin conditioning sessions in your gym you will be somebody touches your chin boom you go to the floor uh piyush i mean please there is a thing called cte in just type uh, that in google and please find it for yourself concussions guys concussions so you don't want to take unnecessary concussions and if you are a martial art gym and i remember uh, this guy manas from do- team do- dojang he posts a lot about this gym called astex manipur and these guys uh, are notorious for posting chin conditioning videos where uh, somebody is just hitting continuously someone in the face in the name of making them tough and this is such a nonsensical such a, a stupid approach to fighting you do not condition your brain guys you can condition your shins you can condition your abs you can condition whatever you want as he said the muscle uh, but you cannot condition your brain you can only condition it to go to sleep very very quickly yes. so please avoid doing that if you see someone or a gym nearby doing that please call them out because we as an indian community we are trying to send on one hand ufc fight fighters to the ufc and then we are getting also side by side featured on this page called magdoja life almost like in every third post of his there is some indian guy in the south indian guy in whatever place i don't know because they we don't show the um, they don't show the technique they don't show the name of the gym but yeah guys this is really horrible what do you have to say the final words for that final words is guys train hard train safe i like i repeat train hard train safe but don't train uh, rough there's a huge difference between intensity and roughness guys uh we'll always be here to help you guys out with whatever little knowledge we know just hit us up uh we all be more than happy to just share this knowledge with all of you and uh, we'll be more than happy to come back again and with some more interesting topics if you want to let us know uh the kind of topics that we need to talk about or discuss on this podcast let us know this is me and pius saying goodbye us see you guys